book of Genesis, and so I'm not going to give you any sort of background information other than to remind you that this, this was a book that was written by a man named Moses. And so if you're saying, well, who is Moses? If you've seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, or maybe you're a little bit older and you've seen the movie The Ten Commandments, that was the dude, okay? That's the dude who wrote this book that we're talking about this morning. And so today's journey in Genesis, we're going to be looking for the spot. Now when I say the spot, all different thoughts may be coming to your head. Those of you who are involved in our youth ministry, maybe you've heard the word the spot and you thought to yourself, oh, I'm going to talk about the youth ministry today. No, that's not the spot I'm talking about. Maybe you think that I'm going to talk about the spot on your shirt where you spilled your coffee this morning as you were drinking it before you came to church. No, that's not the spot we're going to be talking about either. Possibly the stain that you got on your pants when you dripped spaghetti sauce on your pants. How many of you have ruined a pair of pants with spaghetti sauce? I have. That stuff is evil, okay? It's just plain evil, okay? Or, or, uh, or maybe like me, I don't know how many of you have this struggle, but maybe you've got some washcloths at home that have blood stains on them because as you were shaving your head one day, you sliced into your head and you had to use one of the washcloths to dab the blood because you don't understand something. Even if you just nick your head shaving, that sucker bleeds, okay? I mean, there's blood everywhere with this thing. No, that's not the, those are not the spots that we're going to talk about this morning. The kind of spots we're going to talk about is like the spot at the movie theater. How many of you, when you go to see a movie, you arrive 45 minutes early because there's a perfect seat in the auditorium that you have to sit in because the sound is balanced perfectly and it's just, you're right in the middle of the screen and so, so everything, that's an amazing spot and so you have to be in that spot. So if the movie starts at 7, you are there at 6 to sit down because that's your spot. Do we have some people like that in the room today? Or maybe there's some of you with that when you come to church. Okay, you've got a spot in the room where you sit, you've got your chair, you've got the place that you wanna sit, and, and if you come and somebody's in your spot and you have to sit someplace else, the service isn't the same, God doesn't move the same. You're not touched by the Holy Spirit in the same way because you're not in your spot. Or maybe, it's a spot where you park your car. I gotta tell you, I feel out of sorts when somebody's parked in my parking spot. It sends confusion throughout my day. I mean, if I drive home and somebody's in my driveway where I normally put my car, I'm, I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what to do. There's also this spot. A pastor that I worked for thought the cab of his pickup truck was the spot where the Holy Spirit always moved and worked. Okay, and so if he knew you really well, what he would do is he would take you out to dinner, and then he would drive back to the church, and he would park next to your vehicle, and then he would talk to you as you sat in this spot in the pickup truck, hoping that the Spirit would work the same way every time, because that was the spot that God did that. Some of us, the spot that we remember is maybe the spot where a loved one was in a car accident or a motorcycle accident, and they ended up dying there, and the spot isn't such a great memory. Well, with our text this morning, God has given a man named Abram a spot. And so with that, let's read Genesis chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 27, and we're going to read through chapter 12, verse 5. And this is what it says. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nabor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, 
in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. So yes, he married his niece. If any of you were following that very closely, how many guys want to marry their niece in here? Anyone? Anyone? Nobody's brave enough to raise their hand for that, right? Um, but uh, uh, let's see, where was he? Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they arrived, when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. You will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran and set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Okay, so this spot in the text, this place that we are at, uh, is where we meet one of the most famous people of the ancient world. The Jews, the Muslims, and the Christians all change, trace their spiritual heritage back to this guy named Abram. And some of you may be saying, Abram, who's Abram? I haven't heard of him. Well, maybe you know him by his more famous name, Abraham. Okay, at one point in time, God comes and changes his name. He was born with this name, Abram, but at some point in his life, God comes and says, you know what, you are no longer Abram, you are Abraham. And so God changes his name, and this is where we meet him in the text, and it says that he's living in the land of Uz. All right? And that's a really weird name. I mean, you think to yourself, what is Uz? I mean, it sounds like that Dorothy should be there and maybe the Wicked Witch of the West or something, kind of like an Oz place. No, this was, this was a city-state and what was located in modern-day Iraq, and it was, it was on the Euphrates River in the southern part of this nation that we now know as Iraq. And uh, judging from the archaeological remains, the city, city's most prosperous and educated time was during the time that Abraham most likely lived there. So the guess is that Abraham and his family were living a pretty decent life, that they had all they needed, that life was comfortable, that they were not looking for something else, somewhere else to go, or a radical change in their life. But some reason, Abraham and his family decide that they need to move from Ur. And they come up with this spot, they come up with this location called Canaan. And the thing that we got to understand here is that back in those days, they didn't come home and turn on CNN. They didn't come home and turn on Al Jazeera or Fox News or one of these other news stations that broadcast news from around the world. They didn't have geography classes in their middle schools and their high schools. They, they didn't know a lot of the places that were outside of the land in which they were living. And so for Abram to just wake up one day and just say, you know what, I'm going to head to Canaan. They just, I mean, he probably had no clue where that was at, no clue what it would look like, and, and he probably had, uh, never even met anyone who came from Canaan. But even though he had no idea where it was, or even the place, he decided that they were going to go and head there. And I believe the reason that they decided to head to Canaan was because Abram had heard from God. 
Why do I think Abram heard from God? Well, because if we were to flip into the New Testament to the book of Acts in chapter 7, it tells us that Abram's call to go to Canaan came before he left for her. So my assumption here is that the family was just hanging out one night. They were eating dinner. They were talking. They were maybe watching a movie or a TV series on Netflix. And Abraham just kind of chimes up and says, hey, guys, what do you think of the idea of, like, moving to Canaan? And they had some conversation, and they just decided to do it. And maybe you say to yourself, well, well that should be fairly a, co a fairly common practice, right? Well, back in those days, people didn't move these kinds of distances. People didn't wake up in the morning and say that they were moving from Mulberry to Chicago or, or Dallas or Detroit or anything like that. That just didn't happen. It wasn't normal. These weren't things that people did. You were born in a place. You were raised in a place. You stayed in a place. You didn't move around. And it was especially challenging because of the distance they were planning on moving. Now, the distance between Ur and Canaan was about 500 miles as the crow flies. The problem with where the crow flies is it's across a desert, and I doubt even a crow would fly across that because a crow wouldn't even survive. There is nothing between Ur and Canaan, if you were to go this way, the most direct and shortest route. You couldn't pack enough supplies. You couldn't bring enough water. You couldn't bring you needed to travel that 500 miles across the desert. And, and, so, and so they had to come up with a different plan. They had to go a different direction. They had to take a different path in order to get there. And so what they decided they were going to do is they were going to go up the Euphrates River into southern Turkey and then hook around down across this mountain range that runs down to Canaan and then into Canaan that way. They figured that even though it was a long distance, it was going to be the best way, the safest way to travel because they thought that this was the way that they were going to survive if they did it this way. Now this trip was about a thousand miles. They're going to have to walk it. No renting U-Hauls. No calling the moving company. It would be like me saying, okay, everybody, after church today, we're all going to go and we're going to walk from here to Philadelphia. Same distance. How many of you would be down for that walking trip? Okay, I wouldn't lead you on that because I'm not walking to Philadelphia, okay? I mean, that's a long way. It's twice the route as of going across the desert. But as I said, they had to do that way because it was going to give them the best chance of survival. So instead of it being about a 50-day trip going across like this, it ended up being over 100 days to go up and around like that. 100 days of walking. That's a long way to walk. But not only were they just out there walking, they were walking with everything that they owned. I mean, try and wrap your, your brains around that picture. Sure, they didn't have a couch that they carried on their back. They didn't have a 65-inch TV that they carried. But they still had to bring all of the stuff that they owned. And the stuff that they owned was a little bit more unruly than the stuff that we own, like a TV. They had to bring livestock with them. All right? And back at this time, the thing that made people wealthy was not money. See, the Donald Trumps of the ancient world were not people who had cash in the bank and skyscrapers in Manhattan. See, the people who had the money back then were the men who had the most livestock. Livestock were a commodity. They were a commodity that everybody needed. Okay, they, they needed it for food. Okay, there was no such thing back then really as vegetarians. You ate what you got. 
when they killed the animal to eat it, they needed its fur for blankets and, and for shoes and for clothing and those sorts of things. I mean, these animals, these livestock were like the multi-tool of the ancient world. Y'all know what a multi-tool is? Yes, no, anybody carrying one on them right now? All right, well, so families, this is how you were determined whether you were wealthy, the livestock you had. Well, for Abraham's family to even attempt this move, they had to have been very wealthy. They had to, they had, to have had a lot of livestock. Even the poor or even the middle class would not have attempted a move like this because it would have been too costly to them financially. They couldn't have risked losing all of their livestock, all of their livelihood, everything that they had. They couldn't risk losing it but making this journey. And I would further guess that taking all of these animals with them meant the journey took longer than 100 days that it would take a person making the journey without animals. And so let's say it would have taken them 200 days to get to Canaan. I think that's a low estimate. Uh, I think a year is more like it, but uh, because of these conditions, uh, that would have been a fun trip. How many of you have ever taken a really long road trip? Not an airplane, flown someplace really long. We have any really long road trippers in the house? Yeah. Every time we go and visit my family, my mom, we drive. My mom's house from this church is 1,621 miles away. We're making that trip in July. Because it's such a long trip, I hate wasting any time of my vacation driving on the road. And so what will happen is I will leave my house and I will not stop until I pull into her driveway. Now that means I'll get gas, I'll get food, I'll, I'll let the kids go to the bathroom occasionally. But what that means is I don't stop to sleep, okay? I don't stop to rest. We don't stop to see sights. We don't stop to do any of that. We get in the car and we're on a mission and we drive and it's 24 straight hours of driving. And can I tell you, it's taxing, it's tolling, I get cranky, my eyes are all bloodshot by the time I get to my mom's house. But it's the only way we can get there. And so we do this drive. But the thought of driving anymore after getting to my mom's house literally drives me insane. My, my wife's father lives about 150 miles from my mom. And I'm always like, do we have to go visit your dad? I mean, really? I mean, those are the thoughts in my head. Um, but, uh, but yes, it's, it's, it's just a very taxing experience. And if you were to take this and move it back in time over 3,000 years and do it the way they did it, can't even imagine what it would have, been, would have been like. Exhausting, taxing, and possibly even enough to drive you crazy. Because you got to think of some of the other aspects of this trip that we don't generally think about. And the first thing is you're not in a vehicle when you're making this trip. And you're exposed to the elements. Listen, if it's raining outside and you're walking a thousand miles, you're getting wet. Okay, if it's hot, if it's 120 degrees, the sun beating down on you and you're walking this trip, you're getting hot, you're getting sweaty, you're getting nasty, you're getting stinky, you're getting smelly. Okay, if it's 20 degrees outside and snowing, you're walking through the snow, your feet are getting soaked, you're maybe getting frostbite on your fingers. If it's hailing out, you're getting smacked in the head. Okay, that's just the way it was. And then because they didn't have refrigeration, they had to buy all of their food while they were en route from local farmers and villages. They couldn't just pull into McDonald's, they couldn't just pull into Chick-fil-A 
and order something. They couldn't call Domino's. Uh, they, they couldn't call, uh, uh, what are those, uh, Papa John's and have them delivered to the compound. It, it was a challenge. It was a tough thing to just think about this. They had other people with them. It wasn't just the family. They had people who were, who were taking care of the flocks. They had people who were the maids and the servants to the men and the women who were part of the family. And so they had a group, big group of people traveling with them. And so this meant that you had to have enough food to feed all of these people. It meant that you had to have enough sleeping space so that all of these people could sleep. Every day you had to set up a tent. You had to set up camping sites to sleep in. And every morning you had to get up and you had to tear those down and you had to load them up and move on their journey. And I'm sure there were plenty of times that they had to stop because the goats, sheep, cattle, camel, and even the kids decided that they were done traveling for the day. And when I think about doing that for 200 straight days, it sounds exhausting, challenging, and an all-around horrible experience. So pressing on to Canaan probably became more and more burdensome each and every day they were out on the road. So at some point they arrived in the city of Haran. Where is Haran? They believe it's in southern, southern Turkey. The archaeologists have found a city with that name. They're not sure if that's a city that Abraham and his family stopped at. But, but they have found a city with that name, and they arrive there. And they stay a few days. Then they stay a few weeks. Then they stay a few months. And next thing you know, they're there a few years. All of a sudden, they've settled there. They've raised their family there. And they've become a part of that society and that culture. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, why did they stop? Why did they not continue to their final destination, to the place God had originally spoken to Abraham to go? And as I looked at this text, I came up with a few possibilities. The first thing I see here is that maybe Terah, Abram's father, had come to a breaking point. What do I mean by that? Well, as, as we opened up this story that we read, it says in there that Terah, his son, died. And it also says that he was the one who had to care for his grandkids. Suddenly, Lot and all of his son's kids became part of his responsibility. And, and, and if you're a parent in here who has lost a child, um, you know the, the stress and the strain and the hurt and the pain that comes with your child dying before you. And so here he is, Terah. He's on this journey. And then Abraham shows up at the house one day and says, hey, I'm going to Canaan. I can imagine the thought going through his head is this. Oh, no, I can't possibly lose another son. I need to go with them because I don't want to lose all of my family. See, his response came out of a place of exhaustion, depression, and hopelessness. But see, there were unintended consequences to him making this decision. Because what happened was, is he had to leave a place that he grew up in, that all of his family lived, that all of his friends were at, that all of his business associates were at, that everybody he knew his whole life had been at. He had to leave this place. And if you've ever been in a place, in a spot, where you've invested, you've put down roots, you've planted deep roots, and suddenly you've had to rip those roots out, it's a very painful experience. It's not something that's fun or enjoyable. Uh, one time when Dana and I went through that, I described it like the pain of a divorce, because you're literally being ripped away from everything and everyone. And so my picture, the picture in my mind is this, Tara, he's lost his son to death, and now he goes off on this journey, and this journey just isn't what he would have hoped it would be, and he's lost all of those deep 
He looked ahead and he said to himself, this could be my ruin if I make this journey to Canaan. I need to bring some security with me. I need to bring dad with me. I need to bring uh, my nephew Lot with me and his family with me just in case. I mean, if we're tacked on the road by bandits, they'll be able to help me to fight them off. They'll be able to help us get food. They'll be able to help us set up camp. They'll be able to help us do all of this stuff. And, And I'm really afraid of losing them. And so because I'm afraid of losing them, I'm gonna bring them along. And see, fear, when it has a place in our lives, has a way of taking control of us. And I believe that's what happened to Abraham. The longer he walked, the further he got down this road, the more fearful he was that he had made a mistake. And so he decided he better get out now while the getting is good. Haran is a nice place. It's a good city. The rest of the family liked it. And so let's settle here. And I've seen this happen in the lives of Christians as well as they're making the journey of life and they, they're coming along and they're like afraid of what's going on. I, mean, I think of one of our students that we had in, uh, in Boston. It was his senior year of high school and he felt like God was telling him to go into children's ministry. And so he made an appointment with me to come talk to me one day and we sat in my office and um, I said, okay, he's like, I feel God's calling me to do this, but... And I said, okay, what are the buts? He said, well, the first but is this. My parents told me that children's pastors especially don't make very much money. My parents told me that I should be afraid of getting into children's ministry and not being able to support my family. And so that was, my, that was his first fear was he was afraid that he was going to get into a place where he was going to do what God was calling him to do and God was going to leave him out there to hang and dry, much like Abraham thought before he grabbed his family and took off. And I said, okay, what else? He said, well, the second thing is my friends. I said, what about your friends? And he said, man, all of my friends, they're going to, uh, they're going to uh, Harvard. They're going to Yale. They're going to UMass. They're going to uh, Northeastern. They're going to all of these schools, Boston College, Boston University, schools that we all recognize the name of. And he goes, I'm afraid of walking into the room. And the school that he was going to go to was called Zion Bible College. It's, a, it's an Assembly of God college. It was in Providence, Rhode Island. Now it's in Haverhill, Massachusetts. Uh, but... Uh, um, they, they had this shady facility, but they did a fantastic job training people for ministry. And he didn't want to have to go to his friends and say, after they've named all of these amazing schools to say, I'm going to Zion Bible College. He was afraid of what they would think. And so what he did was, he got on the road, and he got off at a spot called the University of New Hampshire, and went to school there, and never fulfilled the calling, or has not to this day anyways, fulfilled the calling that God has on his life to be a children's minister. I think a lot of us do that. We live in fear. And that's how we make decisions, but we need to get past our fears to move to the spot that God is calling us to move to. We can't worry about what our family thinks of the situation. We can't worry about those kind of things and and. and Because you know what? When you're called into ministry, you don't take your mother and your brother and your sister and your cousin with you, okay? You go by yourself. You have a spouse. You go with your spouse. But none of the rest of the family goes with you. It doesn't matter what they think or say. If God is calling you, you step out and you go and you don't live in fear of what other people are thinking, of what other people are saying, the fear of the unknown. And with Abram, He took his family with him, 
And really, his family gave him all kinds of problems. I mean, when we were to continue looking at his life in chapters, uh, the rest of 12 and 13 and 14, he had to fight a war because of his nephew Lot. Okay? It wasn't exactly a pretty experience where if we would have left him at home, he wouldn't have had to fight in a war. But then there's a third reason they could have paused. They may have paused because when they arrived in Haran, it looked like a nice place. It was comfortable. It was a good place to take a break. Because if you've been on a long journey like that, there are some times you need to take a break. You get tired of traveling. And Haran looked like a great place where there are flocks and herds. They could get some good grass. They could build up strength for the rest of the journey to where God was taking them. It looked like a place where they could make some extra money, replenish the funds that they'd already spent on the journey. It's like a place where their kids could be happy and make some friends. But they got comfortable in that great place, and they decided to settle there. It wasn't, they weren't do, it wasn't that they were doing anything sinful. It wasn't like things weren't going good for them. It's just that they liked the place that they stopped. They were satisfied and decided that this was the end of their journey. And I think many of us in our walk with God, we get to that place. I mean, this is a story of some of the things that I've gone through in my life, this exact thing. I got to tell you, when I got into ministry, my plan was not to get involved in youth ministry or anything like that. My goal, my plan was to become a lead pastor. But then God started speaking to me, and he, he brought me into youth ministry. And at first, I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't trained for youth ministry. I never thought I'd be in youth ministry. And so I started doing youth ministry, and I started to get successful at it. And, uh, you know, my, the first youth ministry we were at in Boston, Massachusetts, it was like we started with like 15 kids, and we ended with 60 kids. Then we got to Marion Oaks in Ocala, and we started with like uh, 17 kids, and we ended with close to 200 kids. Then we got to Ocala first, and we started with like 12 kids, and we got to almost 100 kids. I knew what to do. I knew how to do youth ministry. I knew how to reach kids and disciple kids. And so I was comfortable in my walk with God. I was comfortable with the places that God had brought me to. And I was ready to camp there and build my home there because I was getting paid pretty well for what I did. But then God said, wait a minute. This isn't the place that I have you stopping at. He knew this wasn't the end of the game. He was not, I was not doing anything wrong in being a youth pastor, but I was stopping short of the spot that God had for me. And it wasn't like I was not without opportunity. A church in Roslindale, one of the neighborhoods in Boston, they contacted me years ago about being their senior pastor. A church in Palm Bay in 2008 contacted me about being their senior pastor. I, even three years ago, there was a non-denominational church in Ocala that contacted me about being their senior. I wasn't without opportunities. But I always said no. Why? Because I was comfortable in the spot that I was at. I had the faith to step out and become a youth pastor. Even though I knew the ultimate goal was to lead a church, I'd become comfortable at the stop I had made in youth ministry. And so, Joe, if you could come back up. Many believers, we do the same thing. Sometimes in their life calling like me, but many times it's our spiritual life. You know, we get to a place where we're reading our Bible, we're praying, you know, we're doing other things, and uh, 
We get comfortable there, and we think that's all there is to our spiritual life, our spiritual growth, and our spiritual development. Because we're sitting there, and we're saying to ourselves, I'm pretty good. I'm doing better than a lot of people. I'm not ready to go off the edge of a cliff spiritually and destroy my walk with God, and so everything must be okay. Well, there may be times where God is saying to you, I think most of us, God is saying to us, we need to go deeper. We need to go further into his presence. There's more to him than reading our Bible and praying and and being in church on a Sunday morning occasionally. Okay, there's much more to our walk with God than that. See, God has so much more in store, but we get in a place where we're comfortable. We find a settling spot, just like this chair right here. It's a nice chair. You know, it's, it's comfortable. I could take this chair to my house and watch football on it on a Sunday afternoon. I could take this chair to my house and watch a movie on it, and I'd be comfortable. I wouldn't complain about having this chair. I'd be perfectly happy with this chair in my house. And in our spiritual journeys, a lot of times we get to this chair and we sit down and we say, ah, That's nice, God. The pain and the hurt that I was experiencing in going through this difficult and challenging time, it's not so bad when I'm here on this spot. God, you know, uh, it's just comfortable here, and I I like being comfortable, and so I'm just going to stay here where it's comfortable. And we just sit in the chair in this spot. But the thing is, is that God as something else for us. You see, God has a chair like this one over here. He's got a chair that when you sit down in it, it's gonna wrap itself around you. It's gonna be a chair where you can not just watch one football game, but you can watch the early game, you can watch the afternoon game, and you can watch the Sunday night game, and you will still be comfortable sitting in this chair. That's the spot that God has for each and every single one of us. This spot that we can sit and not just watch one movie and be comfortable, but we can watch a trilogy. We can watch all six movies, all nine movies. That's the spot that God has for us. If we are just willing to get up from this spot that seems comfortable, that seems nice, and walk away from it and say, you know what, God, you've got more in store for me than that. You've got this over here. Now let me tell you, the journey from this chair to that chair won't be easy. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be comfortable. As I already said, Abraham, in his journey from Haran, this comfortable spot, to the, to the Canaan, to the promised land, he had to go through all kinds of junk and all kinds of garbage in order to get to that spot. But you know what? I can guarantee you that if you were to go to Abraham today and say, Abraham, was that journey worth it to get to this? He's going to say, it was. It was. It was worth it all. And so that's the choice. That's the decision that we are faced with in this room this morning. 
You're in a spot. You may be in a comfortable spot, but God's got a spot over there for you. Are you willing to stand up from the spot you're in and say, God, I don't know what it's going to be like to get there, but I want the spot that you have for me over here.